Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everyone. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, last night was an, was an interesting game uh, for, for USC Basketball, and we're going we're gonna to talk all about it. Uh, but first, we're going to jump into what's going on with the uh, – or what happened with the Washington teams. Uh, USC did end up sweeping the two Washington schools last week. Uh, beat Washington 95 to 68 last Thursday and then beat Washington State 85 to 77 on Saturday. So, uh, Chris, when you kind of go over those two games sweeping the Washington schools at home, what was kind of the major thing that stuck out to you? Well, the main thing is SC took care of business, and that, that's exactly what you want from your team, especially as you know, we're kind of heading in towards you know, middle of the conference season the good teams take care of, of the opponents that they should beat, And, you know, this was a great opportunity for SC to get two uh, home wins uh, against, you know, a Washington team that still hasn't won a conference game um, and a Washington state team that, you know, has, has looked good defensively, but has struggled offensively. And, and, you know, the Washington game went as good as you could have scripted it for the Trojans. You wanted them to blow out that team and to kind of, you know, you know, for lack of a better phrase, stomp on their throat and, and, you know, from the get go, uh, you know, jump all over them and then not let up. And that's exactly what happened. They got off to a really strong start. They finished the game strong. Um, everything that we talked about previously with Washington zone SC executed on perfectly. Like we talked about the, the high low between the Mobley brothers that was open, uh, all day long and they executed beautifully on it. And that's exactly what you want. You know, at the beginning of the second half, they got uh, a little trigger happy from the three point line uh, Enfield called the timeout and, and, you know, they got the ball back into the post and, and worked from inside out and it, it worked beautifully. Um, and they, they never let up in that game and they, you know, they won by almost 30 and that's exactly what you wanted to see. So uh, I, I was very happy and very impressed with, uh, the coaching game plan and the execution from the Trojans against Washington. Now, Washington State, what we knew about them is, you know, they were coming off a bad uh, blowout to UCLA. You knew that they were going to try to get right defensively. You know, they, the Cougars and the Trojans have been tied uh, in the conference for lowest uh, field opponent field goal percentage. So we kind of thought it was going to be a defensive battle and, you know, it's kind of funny. As soon as you think it's going to be a defensive battle, um, you know, it's an 85 to 77 game, right. uh, which, which was pretty high scoring for those two teams. Uh, and, you know, SC shot 49% uh, against the Washington State team that was holding opponents to, you know, 42, 43%. Um, you know, the one thing that I didn't think the Trojans did a very good job of was containing Isaac Bonton. Uh, he had 27 points um, and was able to get a shot pretty much whenever he wanted to. Uh, but, but they did a pretty good job on the rest of the team. They rebounded the ball well. But the problem, you know, the main thing that kind of rears its ugly head uh, when USC gets in tight games is free throw shooting. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we'll talk about it against Oregon State, but it's, it's a big, big 
problem. 15 of 29 from the free throw line is a joke and it's an embarrassment. And it's something that, that I'm just so incredibly frustrated with. And I just can't understand how this team is so poor from the free throw line. I just, I just don't get it. It's very, very frustrating. Um, and, and it, they need to be better. They need to be better hands down. Yeah, certainly. Free throw shooting is something that undoes teams that have a lot of potential pretty much every year and really hurts them, like you said, in, in the big games against the best teams. And it's it's really unfortunate, especially for USC, because the thing that stuck out to me against the two Washington schools was what I like to kind of think of as like the bully statistics. So free throw attempts and offensive rebounds, basically. And in those two games, they shot 37 and then 29 free throws, which is for a college game pretty sensational number of attempts and then they had a uh, double digit offensive rebounds and uh in, in both of them 16 and 14 so they're really kind of like bullying teams when they when they really want to um especially against outmatched teams like the two washington schools but you have to actually you know follow through on it when you get to the line if you're going to get to the line that much because otherwise you're just leaving points on the board when honestly it, it's they score more efficiently you know just shooting from the field because it's, it's worth two points when, when they make it from the field and they seem to, to miss one out of two at, on average, basically uh, during this stretch anyway. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know. Do you think it's a, do you think it's kind of a mental thing with this team or is there, is there a way that they can, that they can fix that up for uh, the rest of conference play? Free throws is all about repetition and, and practice. That's mm-hmm. all you need to do. The, the more you shoot free throws, the better you'll be. And, you know, I've been to a lot of practices and I, I honestly, I, I see Enfield at the end of practice, do some, you know, free throw shooting and pressure where the team has to run if you miss a free throw, but, you know, I, I don't see guys, you know, taking 10, 15, 20 minutes and just shooting free throws. I, I just, I, I've, I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I was in college, coach Floyd made it very clear, Hey, if you miss free throws, you're coming out of the game. Uh, but we don't practice free throws. You practice free throws in your own time. And I tell you what, if you take away minutes in a game from a player because he's not making his free throws, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to spend 20 minutes after practice shooting free throws. And that's what Nick Young used to do. It's what Taj Gibson used to do. It's what Daniel Hackett used to do. It's what all those guys used to do because they knew that if they missed their free throws, especially in pressure situations, Coach Floyd wasn't going to play them. And I I think Enfield and the coaching staff needs to look at Isaiah Mobley and I think they might have to say, hey, we can't play you. Like, you, I hate to say it because I love the kid, but you're going to have to take his minutes away. I, I just, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, he is shooting. What is this? I, I, I had some stats right, right in front of me. He's shooting 46% from the free throw line. He's 25 of 55. The only worst players percentage-wise are guys that haven't even attempted free throws. Yeah. And are at 0% like that. And, and from a captain and a leader and a starter, you cannot have that. And, you know, you look at the game against Oregon state, uh, Isaiah Mobley goes two of six from the free throw line, two of which were front ends of one of ones and they lose by two points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and SC as a team is dead last in the pac 12 at 64.2% for free throw shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, they lead the conference in free throw attempts. So they're getting to the line, but, but 
you know, Colorado's leading the conference at 84.6%. They've only shot 246 free throws. SC shot 338 free throws and they're shooting at 64.2%. And and you look at games that they've lost by, you know, three points by 10 points. It's, they've had poor free throw shooting games and they missed front ends of one-on-ones down the stretch. And that is an absolute killer and something that Enfield needs to get corrected right away. If he wants any chance at winning this conference and going to the tournament, it just, they're going to lose games that they shouldn't lose just like Oregon state. If they're not making their free throws and it's driving me freaking crazy. Yeah. So I, I thought it was interesting that for the Oregon state game last night, it was a 58 to 56 loss for USC at Oregon state. You said uh, USC went 10 of 18 from the free throw line. So not only were they not shooting it well, but they weren't getting there nearly as often as, uh, as, as against the Washington school. So that's mm-hmm. another concern. Two point loss. USC made 10 free throws. Oregon state made 12. So it was literally the difference in, in the store. Oregon state went 12 of 14. Um, there were, you know, a few other things that kind of shifted stats wise, but really overall it was very, very equal. And that just ended up making the difference in the end. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, you look at that Oregon state game, you know, SC jumped out to eight Oh run. Um, and then they basically forgot how to play basketball. Right. And, you know, you have a lot of LA guys on that Oregon state team. So if you think that they're not going to be ready to play SC, when they were overlooked and had to go to Oregon state instead of a USC or UCLA, uh, you know, they've got some, they've got some attitude about them. Um, and they had, they're going to go prove to the coaching staff that, that they missed on them. Just kind of like what we talked about last week against UC Riverside. You know, right. you have these LA guys um, like Thompson uh, and Lucas who really showed up and, and went balls of the wall for Oregon state. And, you know, they were talking trash Um you know, Jared Lucas and Ethan Anderson were going back and forth, clapping and slapping the floor defensively when they were looking at each other. Um, and, you know, those guys, they came and they brought it. Um, and SC kind of backed off in that first half. They settled for bad three-pointers. Uh, they went 0-9 from the three-point line in the first half. Um, and, and Oregon State really close strong. And, you know, at halftime, SC scored 23 points in the first half. It was awful. Um, and, and just think they, they had eight points in the first three minutes and then they ended with 23 in the first half. Now they turned it around a bit in the second half, um, when they played together and they moved the ball around, but you know, those last two possessions of the game, you know, you call two timeouts, you draw up plays. And at the end, both plays were kind of three point heaves and they, they weren't good plays. And I don't know if that was, you know, just poor execution on the players, um, or if, or if it just, you know, was poor, a poor play drawn up by the coaching staff. I don't know. Um, but that's a game where, you know, you want your team who is second in conference to take care of opponents that they should beat. And this should have been a relatively easy game for USC going to an Oregon state arena that has no fans. Um, you know, Oregon state was two and three, they didn't really have any quality wins and, you know, SC has loads of talent compared to this Oregon state team and you lose by two and the tournament selection committee is going to look at that. And that's going to be perceived as a very bad loss. And it's their first bad loss of the year. When, you know, you look at UConn, they're ranked, they're playing really well right now. Colorado's a, a 
top tier team, you know, those aren't bad losses. This is a bad loss. This is a loss that you can't have if you're, you know, kind of on the bubble of an at-large berth. And it, it was, it, it was just very frustrating uh, watching the attitude of that team in the first half. Um, you know, I, I just didn't think that they were, they were ready to play. Um, and again, free throws, it just blows my mind. You know, they go 10 of 18 from the free throw line and they lose by two. Like we said, it just, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about those last plays at the end there, especially the, the final offensive possession that USC had, because I felt that, they ran a decent play. Evan Mobley had the ball near the basket uh, coming off of a pick and roll. He took the pass from Drew Peterson and he passed up the shot. Now it was going to be contested. So I can, I can understand why they they've talked a lot about him being an unselfish star. I'm not one of those guys who says, Oh, you're the star. You need to shoot it at the end of the game, but he kicks it out to Drew Peterson who ultimately is he's pretty far behind the line, but he's a good shooter. And he has a catch and shoot opportunity because the whole defense is sucked down on Evan Mobley. And that is really the one where I felt like he needed to shoot that, especially because if he makes that, they get, they gain the lead instead of, instead of the tie that they would have had with Mobley's shot. Did you kind of see like hesitation fr- from them there? And, you know, what can they do to try to uh, execute better on, on those kind of final plays? Yeah. I, I just, uh, that was another thing. Drew Peterson, like the ball goes inside, you're hanging out at the three point line. You see the defense collapse, like be ready to shoot the ball. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you're doing. You're like just sitting there with your arms down thinking that Mobley's just going to win the game for you or tie the game for you. You got to get to the three, four, three point line, and be ready to shoot, mm-hmm. like, go, go win the game. And, and the fact that he caught the ball and he kind of hesitated for a half second and then almost went to shoot didn't and then took a dribble and then he had the defense all over him. he pump faked again and then, i mean you had like four opportunities to shoot the ball you got to be ready to shoot that's like that's middle school footwork and teaching always be ready to shoot on the perimeter especially as the clock's running down i uh, i i i don't know I, I, I was just watching that and i just i threw a pillow across the room i was so mad and and that goes back to i just i felt like they weren't ready they weren't ready to play, it, mm-hmm. you know, not being shot ready to shoot a three, to win the game on the road is just not being ready to play. And that was surprising because Drew Peterson's been, you know, one of the more clutch guys down the stretch for this team. Um, and for him to, to not, you know, jump at the opportunity to catch and shoot a three to win the game is, is beyond me, but you know, it's just one of those things that it just wasn't in the cards for the Trojans last night. Yeah, I was going to I was going to bring up with Drew because, you know, I don't want to I don't want to pile on him. He did have, uh, I think, an important game against Washington State. Uh, He had 15 and 11. And even though he was struggling from the floor, he really crashed the glass. Right. And I think that's something that we've seen from him that, you know, I've been surprised about a lot of things with him coming into the season. I wasn't particularly familiar with his game, but his ability to rebound because he is a big dude uh, as a guard is has been really impressive to me. So I do want to I do you know, give him credit for that. But like you said, if you're a, a guy who can shoot it as well as he can, and you know, Evan Mobley is, is not a guy who feels like he needs to take the final shot and will pass it up for a better shot for a teammate. If he, if he sees it and, and he thinks it's a better shot for someone else, you got to be ready to shoot them. Yeah. 
And and I agree. We shouldn't pile on Drew. I mean, he, you know, he single-handedly kind of took over the UC Riverside game in overtime and he was great against Washington schools. Um, but you know, he, he had five turnovers and to be honest, SC, when they were up eight, nothing, uh, with the ball, all the momentum, I felt like one of the big turning points was Drew was just kind of dribbling the ball, uh, very kind of lazily, um, and Ethan Thompson stripped him and went right down and scored. And that all of a sudden kind of gave Oregon state some momentum and they really kind of propelled from there. Um, you know, SC had 13 turnovers to, you know, Oregon state's eight. I mean, you just look at these stats and you just shake your head, you know, Oregon state 12 of 14 from the free throw line compared to 10 of 18 from SC. I mean, Oregon state did everything you could have done to beat the Trojans. So, I mean, they deserve to win the game. Uh, what I also found kind of interesting is I think this was the first game where Ethan Anderson didn't really have any minutes restrictions. He played 22 minutes and down the stretch, uh, you know, Enfield went small. He had Ethan Anderson, Taj Edey, uh, Drew Peterson, and then the Mobley brothers uh, with Isaiah White, who, you know, he only played 17 minutes yesterday. So with Ethan Anderson coming back, you kind of wonder kind of where those other minutes are going to disappear for some of these guys. You know, Isaiah White is a guy that could see less minutes, you know, Noah Bowman, I'm still, still waiting for him to, you know, have another breakout, you know, three point shooting game, like he did against UC Irvine. He's, he's kind of had a slower start to the PAC 12 season. Uh, you know, Agua Polo, I don't know how many more minutes he's going to get. Uh, it, it's just going to be interesting here. I mean, Enfield's got a great team. They're, they're deep. Um, but there's only one ball and you can only have five guys in the court at the same time. So with the, with Ethan Anderson coming back into the lineup, I mean, it, it's going to shift some things and you kind of saw that yesterday against Oregon state. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a pretty good segue into what our look ahead to USC's next two games. They play Stanford and Cal coming up this week. And the reason why I say, I think it was a good transition is because Stanford, while it is one of the most talented teams in the conference, obviously Zaire Williams, the freshman is kind of the headliner for that, but they also have Oscar De Silva, who is first in the PAC 12 in scoring and third in field goal percentage. So they got a lot of talent on this team. I do think that they have some issues, you know, working as a team. I, I, I target their assist to turnover margin is actually a negative. It's 12.5 to 15.8. So is that something that you kind of see as, as something that USC can kind of target, especially for such a strong defensive team? Maybe they can turn Stanford over and, and take advantage of the fact that they don't move the ball particularly well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, Stanford in my opinion, they have one of the best starting fives in the conference. Like, you you know, you mentioned Oscar De Silva and Zaire Williams, but I mean, let's not forget about Bryce Wills and Dejon Davis. Like those two guys have been around. I feel like they're like on their fifth or sixth years at Stanford. Right. Um, and they know the Trojans very well, and they've always played very well against the Trojans. You know, we, we can't talk about this, this Stanford game without mentioning last year and the incredible comeback that SC had against Stanford at the Galen Center, which was um, uh, the greatest second half of basketball I've ever seen in my entire life live. Uh, and I've seen a lot of basketball, but, you know, for, for SC to have that big, you know, I think it was like a 24 point comeback in the second half uh, was absolutely incredible. And, it, you know, I think that really kind of turned the Trojan season last year and kind of propelled them to a very strong end of the season. So I, I just had to touch on that because, you know, I almost cried at the end of the game. My, my seats are right across from coach Enfield's wife, Amanda, 
after the game, she just came over and hugged me and hugged my wife and everyone we were with. We, we were all just so, so pumped and excited. It, it was incredible. But yeah, you know, Stanford, they're, they're eight and five overall, four and three in conference. Uh, great starting five. I think SC needs to really pound the interior and get these guys in foul trouble early. Because once you go to Stanford's bench, they fall off pretty dramatically. You know, Spencer okay. Jones is is okay. Um, you know, he's averaging seven points a game and, and you know, he, he gets a couple of rebounds. But, you know, once you get into Stanford's bench, they fall off very quickly. Um, and I think SC really needs to try to get them into foul trouble, get Oscar to Silva in foul trouble. You know, the Mobley brothers need to just hammer on him. Um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting uh, to see the matchup. I, I would assume that Drew Peterson's going to start on Zaire Williams. Um, and I think that's going to be an absolute battle. Um, you know, the, the two leaders in minutes for Stanford's Oscar to Silver and Zaire Williams. And, you know, if those guys get their, you know, 20 points and, and 13 points respectively, SC's going to be in for a long night. Um, and they're really going to have to lock down on those guys. Uh, I really think that Enfield should go to a man um, and stay in man. I don't think zone is the way to go against these guys. The zone drives me absolutely crazy. Um, I think he needs to go man to man and, and, you know, get rebounds and push the ball. I think Stanford uh, is a little slower in getting back in transition. The more easy buckets SC can get out in transition. I think, I think they could win this game by 10, 12 points. Um, but if they're, if they're not getting defensive stops, and they're kind of sticking in the half court offense. Uh, this is going to be a, a back and forth battle. Yeah. So just to, to provide some context on Stanford, they are not really at the at the point where they feel like they need to be. Right. They're coming off two straight losses to Utah and Colorado, and both of those games they scored in the 60s, which uh, I think for the season they're averaging about 72 points per game, which isn't amazing, but it's certainly better than scoring in the 60s, right? So they're, I think, a team that's trying to find itself offensively. And you said last year USC having that, that major comeback was really kind of a turning point for them. And I wonder if Stanford is maybe going to be looking at this game the same way. I think I, I would hope so. For if I'm a Stanford fan, I right. mean, they're coming off two losses to Utah and Colorado, and um, which they weren't really close in in either of those games. Uh, the scores were almost identical. I mean, they lost to Utah, you know, 65 to 79, and then Colorado 64 to 77. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they got they got punched in the mouth uh, on, on the Mountain School road trip, and you know they're coming back, and I, I, they're not playing at home. They're playing like Santa Cruz or something like that. It's mm-hmm. going to look like a high school gym when we watch them on TV tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it, it, so, you know, they're, I feel, I feel bad for Stanford. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of things that aren't going their way. Uh, they're traveling all over the place. Even their home games feel like away games. Uh, but this is an opportunity for SC to go on the road and, and win two games. As coach Floyd always said, boys can win at home, but it takes men to win on the road. Um, and, and they need to go and, you know, especially after that that poor showing against Oregon State, they need to go and, and beat up on Stanford and Cal. Yeah, and uh, just a quick thing for everyone listening. We're, we are recording this on, on Wednesday, but putting it out Thursday morning. So when we say tomorrow, that's when the game is actually happening, which is Thursday night or Thursday afternoon, I guess it is now, right? Yeah, it's like a two o'clock game or something like that. Yeah, so we'll try to get this out as early as possible tomorrow morning to make sure that uh, you can all hear it before the game. Uh, one more thing on, on Stanford, which... Uh, they struggle to shoot from the perimeter. And I think that a lot of the teams that, you know, were kind of surprising USC, I guess, the uh, the Riversides and 
uh, Cal Baptist did it by shooting really well from three. I don't think that's really been the case with the Pac-12 teams that they've lost to. I, I mean, last night was very much of a rock fight with with Oregon State. Um, although they, they did shoot the ball well from three, but they didn't shoot, you know, shoot a ton of them, right? And then I don't remember Colorado being a particularly great three-point shooting night. What do you think is the is the discrep- discrepancy there? And do you think that Stanford not being a great shooting team is actually a huge advantage for USC? I think it's an advantage as long as SC can box out and get defensive rebounds. Oregon State really kind of pushed SC around uh, on, on the defensive glass yesterday. Um, I don't disagree with you when you look at, you know, the Cal Baptist or the UC Riverside, you know, those guys were really run and gun and, and just putting up a bunch of threes. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also one of those things. I don't know what it is about people shooting in the Galen center, but I I just feel like everyone gets hot at the the shooters three point line. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't help me much, but, uh, (laughs) you know, I I did only have one year there. Um, you know, uh, I, I, like I said, Offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds will be coming at a premium uh, when you have like Oscar to skill Oscar to Silva, you know, battling against you. And it's going to be very important for them to box out, get rebounds and push it. Um, you know, I always get nervous. I feel like whenever, you know, SC plays against a team, that's a bad three point shooting team. That's a recipe for them to hit 10 threes against us. I don't know what it is, but I feel like that always happens. So, um, you know, as long as they, as long as they box out and they can, you know, get some turnovers, create transition opportunities on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they should be okay. Yeah. And then before we move on to Cal, I did want to agree with you about being aggressive offensively and trying to get to the free throw line, even though they haven't been shooting particularly well there because Oscar De Silva is going to have to guard you know at the rim for for the most part with USC running those two big lineups out there and uh if you get him in foul trouble that takes away their their biggest offensive contributor and maybe the biggest offensive contributor in the Pac-12 so going going to the basket forcing more of those fouls and then being more being more confident or just figuring out what you need to do when you get to the line uh, I think needs to be the plan for USC with Cal uh seven and eight this season but two and six in the conference so I think that you're you're seeing a team that has done what you kind of said earlier of beating the teams that you're supposed to beat, but maybe not really beating the teams that, that uh, are, are more competitive, I guess. Uh, they're coming off a win against Utah, which, you know, is, is fair play. It's a conference win, but their other conference win was against Washington. And so against solid competition or better Pac-12 competition, I guess, I guess I would say uh, they've played Oregon, Oregon state, Washington state and Colorado those are four losses and they lost by an average of 15.5 points per game. So, you know, this is a game that USC should be expecting to win pretty, pretty handily. And, and if you're, if you're looking at a team that's going to be one of the best in the PAC 12, probably winning by up near around 20, at least. Right. Yeah. I, I would got, I got to think so. And, you know, I I'm impressed that Cal was able to go to Utah and get a win. That's a tough place to play. It's a tough place to get a win. Um, and I'm sure that they, they, you know, garnered some confidence after that win. Uh, this team starts and stops with Matt Bradley. Uh, he's really, he's their engine. Um, and if SC can control him, the rest of the game should be pretty easy. Uh, you know, he's only played nine games this season. Uh, I think he was out with some COVID contact tracing or whatnot. So his body's relatively fresh. Um, you know, he's big, he's strong, he can shoot the three, you know, he's got a great inside outside game. He's averaging 18 points. Um, you know, he's a good defender. He sees the floor. Well, 
Uh, he's a very good player. I think he could be a next level NBA, you know, sixth, seventh man off the bench uh, and have like a, you know, five to six year career um, and, and, you know, get some notoriety. I think he's a fantastic player uh, after him, you know, they're tall and, and they're long, but they're not as tall and long as SC. And I would assume that, you know, they should take care of business against Cal that that is a game that, you know, the top tier teams in the conference will take care of Cal, but you know, they should have taken care of Oregon state and they didn't. So we'll see what happens, but it's very, very important to get these two games um, because after this, they come back home and I think they have the Oregon schools and it's, you know, it's, it's hit the reset button again. So, um, you know, they got to put Oregon state in the rear view mirror they got to go get these two wins and kind of resettle themselves uh, amongst the top of the conference. Yeah. I, I think that the, there is legitimate concern about, about Bradley, like you said, especially considering the last time that they played uh, a really good offensive guard, Bonton gave them 27 points and really kind of sliced them up. Like he said earlier. So um, I think that USC is maybe susceptible to these not one man teams, but these teams that have a clear number one scorer and go-to guy, because I don't know who on USC is really the the stopper against those really good offensive guards. What would your kind of approach for, for that be from USC's side to try to clean that up a little bit? I mean, the thing is, 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 I mean, Matt Bradley is in a, a bonton in terms of his, his size, right? The mm-hmm. guy's 6'4", 220. I mean, he is a strong dude and he's all buffed out. Right. Um, and he can take in the post. I mean, I, I, I would think maybe Drew Peterson uh, would start on him, but I think at the end of the day towards, you know, going down the stretch, you got to put like an Ethan Anderson on him, a guy with a big butt who can, who can box him out and who can battle with him down there right. uh, because he is, he's a monster uh, and he's so strong and, and he can, he takes a lot of guards down in the post because he can. Um, and I think Ethan Anderson's kind of a similar build, um, where he's just, you know, he, he's, he's kind of a little bowling ball. Um, and he can, he can, he can bang with Bradley. And I think that's what he's going to try to do against, you know, SC's tall, but you know, there's, there's not a lot of meat on those bones when you look at the Mobley's or Drew Peterson or, you know, a Tajidi. So I, I would assume that Ethan Anderson, uh, will get a, a good amount of time on Bradley. For sure, and if they want to throw more size at him, I could also see Isaiah White maybe picking up some of those. Uh, yeah, some of, yeah, some of that's a good point. Well, I, I honestly I don't have that much more on Cal because, like you said, they kind of start and end with with Bradley. Uh, if you look through their stats, they're pretty much mediocre at everything. But is there anything else from from Cal that you would want to kind of point out for for people to look for in that game? Uh, I mean, not particularly. They have a couple of transfers. I mean, Ryan Bentley from Penn. Um, is a six, five guard who, who can really fill it up from the outside. Um, you know, uh, Mikhail Foreman from Chattanooga, he's a guy that's producing for them too. He's a smaller point guard. Um, other than that, you know, they don't have a ton, uh, honestly going for them. Um, I just think, I think if you stop Bradley, you kind of, you know, cut the head off the snake there, uh, and the rest should take care of itself. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if USC will be able to do that on, on Saturday. Before we go here, Chris, do you want to uh, – I, I forgot to, to do this last week, but do you want to uh, tell the people where they can find you? Oh, yeah. So you can hit me up on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I didn't feel like I needed to mention it last time because I had about 20 or 30 comments uh, in, my, in my DMs. It, it was that. great. Um, 
So I'm, I'm of course happy to, to answer any questions or, or talk a little bit more SC hoops with anyone out there, but uh, see Penrose number one, number zero uh, on both Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, and certainly the same goes for me. If you're ever looking for a USC Hoops conversation, I am there for it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at A-I-D-A-N-B-E-R-G and an underscore. Uh, that is going to do it. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.